Talkers. Welcome to No Prize from God, episode 29. No Prize from God features conversations with creative people about belief, unbelief, and everything between. I'm your host, Ryan J. Downey, and my guest this episode is filmmaker Daniel Karslake. Daniel is an award-winning American director and producer whose highly acclaimed work deals with the pressing issues of national and international social justice. His latest film is called For They Know Not What They Do. Prior to that, he completed Every Three Seconds, a movie amplifying practical solutions to global poverty and hunger, which he began as a visiting scholar at Stanford University. Prior to that, he directed and produced For the Bible Tells Me So, a feature documentary about the intersection of religion and homosexuality in America, which premiered in competition at the 2007 Sundance Film Festival and was shortlisted for a 2008 Academy Award. For They Know Not What They Do is a powerful exploration of the intersection of religion, sexual orientation, and gender identity in America. Karslake currently lives in Berlin with his husband, Russ, and their two cats. The best way you can support No Prize from God is to go into Apple Podcasts or your podcast listening platform of choice and leave a five-star rating and a nice little review. Those really do help. You can follow No Prize from God on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan Downey and on Instagram at SuperheroHQ. And you can check out other podcasts in the Pop Curse Podcast Network, including Pop Curse, Musicians Talking About Movies, including Pop Curse, Musicians Talking Movies, and Speak and Destroy, a podcast featuring interviews about Metallica. So here it is, my conversation with filmmaker Daniel Karslake. This is No Prize from God. talk about your films i'd love to hear a little bit about your background with this sort of stuff and how you were first introduced to the ideas of life and death and god and heaven and hell and all that sort of stuff how how did how did that enter your life and what was your early experience with it sure well i um i grew up in a relatively religious family or protestant family in uh, the northeast of the united states we weren't denominationally linked. In other words, we weren't like Episcopalian or Presbyterian or um, Methodist. Uh, we moved a lot because my father's a salesman. Whenever we moved to a new town, first on top of the list was finding a new church. So my par- parents always tried most of the Protestant churches in the town and would generally settle on the church they felt was um, doing the most outside of its walls for <laughs> the people of the community. Uh, because they felt at that time that that was what uh, they were called to do. Uh, and that was a you know good way to grow up. We were in church every Sunday and um, had a pretty strong faith. I would say I have a brother and sister, so there are three of us, and I was probably the one who got most involved in church. Um, and I'm also the youngest. Uh, so when I, when I went to school, I went to Duke University in North Carolina and I think one of the very first things I did when I got to Duke was sign up to be a chapel usher so that I knew I would be on church in chapel every Sunday. Mm. Um, Because I also knew that this is my first time away from home and I was going to be very social and I wanted to enjoy college and and I didn't want to 
my crazy Friday nights or Saturday nights to keep me from church on Sunday. Um, so I was a chapel usher for four years. Interestingly, my parents stopped going to church as soon as I left for college, um, oh, wow. which, which was surprising to me. Um, they've kept something of, I, I don't know, I, I won't speak to their faith, um, but they're very strong supporters of the current president uh, and would say that they are quite religious, um, although church is not part of that uh equation anymore but for me uh faith really played a very pretty substantial role for me in college as well as i was coming out uh, i was realizing i was gay um you know i always knew at some level i was gay probably from the time i was three or four but i really didn't let myself really think about it until my junior year in college and um I would always study every night. Duke's a very uh, intellectually rigorous um, institution, at least it was for me. And uh, so I, I studied every night in the same table in the main library on West Campus, but I'd leave every night at, mid, or at 11 o'clock. I'd leave my books at my table and I'd leave the library and go into the chapel and just sit and pray and have a conversation with God about like, how could I possibly be gay? This is just not an option in my family. My father at that time was sending you know fundraising checks to jesse helms mm. in north carolina which is where duke is and he's very proud of that and jesse helms of course was deeply racist deeply homophobic man uh, maybe among the most homophobic people I've ever to serve in the u.s congress so um being gay just like was just not an option but you know the more i the more i had those conversations the clearer i got that um, to deny how God made me would be the greatest sacrilege that this is, this is exactly how I was made. This is not some, absolutely not something I was choosing or had any control over. Um, so it really, my faith really made me come out. Ironically, most of my, um, LGBTQ friends, um, had the opposite experience. Mm -hmm. Um, people often stay in the closet for much longer than maybe they would have, um, because of, how they perceive their faith uh, to feel about who they are. Uh, but I really very clearly got the message somehow in those evening kind of prayer times in Duke Chapel that um, I needed to be who I was and, and, mm. and be clear about that. So very soon, so senior year, I sort of really got used to that. And then very soon after I graduated, I, um, I came out to my parents, which was not a very good experience at all. Mm. Um, very, very negative. Um, but ultimately, uh, they came around. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it, it strangely, it was my faith that actually brought me out of the closet. I, I, you know, I, I understand why you say strangely, uh, given the historical, I suppose, context too. But, um, but I, I, I know exactly what you mean. I don't think it's strange at all. I think it's, it's rather beautiful that that's actually how and why it happened. Um, you know, not, not to, as you said, uh, try to second guess or pick apart your parents' faith since they're not here to speak to us. Um, but it is interesting, you know, you mentioned being the youngest of your siblings and that they mm -hmm. stopped regularly attending church once you were off to college. It, it, it gave me a little bit of pause because it made me wonder you know, was there somewhere even subconsciously where they thought, okay, their, their obligation was to make sure the kids were churched. And then it was like, once that was responsibility had been satisfied, like they relaxed on, on their own going. And yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. So, I imagine so. that it was, there's definitely, that was definitely part of it. And interestingly, like often happens um, when I came out, they got very religious again. <laughs> right. And then, uh, you know, it, it, well, what about the Bible? What about this? What about that? And I was like, I'm the only one in our family that goes to church. What? What? You're talking about the yeah. Bible? I mean, yeah. it's, you know, it's a big reason why I do the work that I do, mm -hmm. actually. Um, sort of looking at what these sacred texts do and don't say and what they meant when they were written and what they've been twisted into now. Um, yes. Yes. So, and, that, and that's a, a yeah. big part of what I wanted to talk about with you, uh, because Oftentimes, you know, we find that when people come out, um, 
or when they come around to any sort of identity or uh, viewpoints even that are outside of what we understand to be the orthodoxy of different faith traditions, including Western Christianity, that, you know, a lot of times there's, there's a throwing out of the baby with the bathwater, right? Where it becomes, okay, this tradition doesn't accept me, doesn't recognize me. Um, therefore, it's all crap. Um, you know, I'm, the house of cards, you pulled out this card and it's all collapsed. Um, and I, I find it a more interesting conversation <laughs> with folks who adjust either their view of the faith tradition or come to understand it differently or have a different experience through other people who view it differently and, and those who seek to reform from within. I think that that's much more interesting at this point in my life to have those conversations than the conversation about, yeah, religion sucks, man. It's impressive. It's keeping us all down. Let's throw it in the garbage. Because certainly you can point to periods in history where different faiths played role, a significant role in progressive change and in acceptance and understanding of all sorts of things and pushing things forward. I, I, I just had a guest on a couple episodes ago. He's the author of, his name's Adam Morris. He's the author of a book called American Messiahs. And he does studies of various cult leaders and, you know, false prophets, so to speak, uh, in American history that, of course, we know the sensationalized part of their story and, and the kind of spectacular flameouts of how some of those movements ended. But, and yet, these were groups that were integrating, <laughs> that were, you know, full of all kinds of ideas that are now widely accepted as the norm, that were controversial at the time that these groups were practicing them and his book it's a great book and it, but it basically posits that um religious ideologies that are viewed as extreme or cultish even aren't these strange aberrations in american history they're actually essential to american history a lot of religious movements have propelled progressive ideas that we we think of as american came from you know the rabble rousers within different faith traditions that while sometimes uh swaying into areas that were quite unsavory had a lot of good ideas you know and you look mm -hmm. at those things and you go well why brainwashing is too simple of an explanation for why well-meaning people would end up in some of these groups so sorry if that was no, it's very interesting. I'll have, to find the, I'll have to find the book. It sounds yeah. interesting. Yeah, I'll email you uh, 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 some info on it. But in regard to your personal experience, certainly that shaped your desire to tell stories that were um, that were going untold, you know, and putting a spotlight on uh, people who were in your in your shoes, so to speak, in terms of how does my understanding of this faith align with who I am. And if you could tell me a little bit about that, how, uh, how that led to you doing the work that you do now and making the films that you, that you make. Well, um, after, so I went to Duke and then I went to graduate school at the University of Southern California in Los Angeles. And after that, um, I went and worked in cancer research for five years, raising money for cancer research, a mm -hmm. great, institution in Los Angeles called the City of Hope. And while I was um, at City of Hope, they moved me and my now husband to New York so I could run the five East Coast fundraising offices uh, for City of Hope. I, I, I have a talent for raising money and it, it went really well for City of Hope because I still very much believe in what they do. Um, but that, that placed us in New York and I started um, meeting a lot of people who were working in film and television, which is what I went to graduate school for. And thinking, you know, I didn't, I, maybe I should sort of pursue something in entertainment, but what I had done so far um, in entertainment had felt really sort of um, superficial and not really leaving a, a, a positive mark on the world. And I didn't want to be part of putting, you know, the Real Housewives of New Jersey out into the universe. Mm. Um, 
So the cancer research really spoke to me and I loved what I was doing, but I really started thinking I need to maybe use that part of who I am in some way. And in that process, um, Russ, my husband and I were watching PBS one night and saw a show called In the Life, which was a news magazine on PBS, monthly news magazine about LGBTQ issues uh, in the 90s, which was mm. really early. Um, it was really the only thing on television about real LGBTQ people. There was a lot of fiction and a couple like sitcom characters, but this show was like a minute, an hour show of three sort of mini documentaries just about sort of who LGBTQ people were. And I remember this, this episode that we saw, I don't remember the other two stories, but one of them was a, a, a story about a gay couple who were pig farmers in West Virginia. <laughs> and I just loved it because it was like, oh, they're just like me. They're just sort of regular people. They're not like going to dark bars and sleeping with 5,000 people and praying on all the, you know, playing on children, all those sort of myths around what it was to be gay during that period. So I said to Russ, um, you know, if I ever worked on a television show, I'd work on that show because it's a nonprofit. I've never still ever worked for a for-profit company. I always, my movies are nonprofit, all of that. Um, but even then I hadn't worked for a nonprofit and I loved that it was a nonprofit and I loved the mission of the show. Um, and then when we talked about that a little and he said, well, why don't you do something about it? Well, I really love my job and I'm super busy, but anyway, went to sleep next morning, got up, went to work. City of Hope's office was in this crappy little building in the garment district in New York on West 26th street, I think. I walked into that building the very next morning, got on the elevator and the host of In the Life got on the elevator with me. And like <laughs> having lived in Los Angeles and just who I am, I just have never ever wanted to talk to people that I recognize, especially in media. Mm -hmm. Like really, ugh, I just have no desire to talk to people who are famous or anything like that. I just felt like it was invasion of privacy and blah, blah, blah. But the fact that she got on the elevator with me less than 12 hours after I had said, I want to work for the show. I was just like, this is crazy. I had our, our office was on three. So I had three floors to sort of chatter <laughs> up. I remember being like, hi, Oh my God. Aren't you on in the life? Yes. I saw your show last night and I was saying to my husband and I went to USC film school and da, 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 And she, at one point she was like, you know what? You need to slow down. And could you back up a little? Cause apparently I was like really close to her. And she said, listen, just relax just come up to seven. Our production offices are on seven. So the production offices of the show wow. were in my building, which had maybe eight floors. <laughs> like there's nothing building in New York, there are thousands of those buildings. So I just thought they're in this building. This is just too direct. Like, I feel like this is, I'm supposed to hear this. So Later that afternoon, I went up, talked to the executive producer, explained I had this huge job that I was going up and down the coast all the time and back to California once a month. And, but I wanted to watch how he made the, the show and could I just carry cable? And he said, sure. So after a couple months of helping the field produce a couple things in Los Angeles, he pulled me aside and said, Dan, you need to pitch stories to me. You can do this. Like, you know everything about doing this. You should just, and if you pitch us a story that we like, We'll do it. And so I pitched him a story about um, this amazing book that was relatively new called The Good Book. It's by Peter Gomes at Harvard. And it's the best-selling book ever written still about the Bible. And it had a, um, it had a chapter in it called, about homosexuality in the Bible. And it pretty much says, you know, homosexuality as we know it today is not in the Bible. Mm. What is in the Bible is this. It's, um, and I was just fascinated by that. And I always sort of, it's how I understood it already. It didn't change my mind, but seeing it in print, I thought, wow, someone else sees it this way. And he's a, you know, he's a scholar from Harvard. Um, so I pitched a story to the executive producer about Peter Gomes's teaching assistant, a woman named Irene Monroe, an African-American woman who was proud lesbian, but also in the divinity school at Harvard. And she was Peter Gomes's teaching assistant. So I was gonna, make the segment about her, but I wanted to get Peter to talk about the Bible. Because I thought if more people knew what he said, mm -hmm. then fewer kids would want to kill themselves mm -hmm. who are hearing in church that they're evil. 
and for some reason that has always been something in me there's oh it's always really bugged me that this one interpretation of this book that was written so long ago was pushing all these kids towards suicide so i pitched the story they said yes i produced the piece i got peter peter initially said i don't want to talk about the book i'll just talk about irene I was like, okay, that's fine. And then in the interview, which is going to, yeah, it's going to inevitably like, intersect, right? Yeah. yeah. I was like, you know, so what about Leviticus 1822? Like what? And, and Sodom and Gomorrah. And he just kept talking. It's like, oh my God, I'm wow. getting it. So, um, and there's a, there's a point to all this. So yeah. that was the first thing I ever produced this thing about Irene Monroe for in the life. And the day after that aired nationally, um, whenever that was, I got about 75 to 80 emails on kind of a group computer down in in the life. Cause I would, I would go up and down from my office to in the life sort of secretly. I don't think city of hope even knew I was doing this yet. <laughs> um, but the very first email I ever opened about any of my work came in as a result of that piece the day after it aired. And it was from a 13 year old boy in Iowa and it was five lines. It said, Last week I bought the gun. Yesterday I wrote the note. Last night I happened to see your show on, on show on PBS and just knowing that someday somewhere I might be able to go back into my church with my head held high, I dropped the gun in the river. My mom never has to know. And I'll tell you, I like I had to read that 10 times before I was like gun because it was it was it was so interestingly written too because it was like one line he would hit return after every sentence so it was just like almost a poem it's like gun what about a gun and what like huh and i realized ultimately that this kid had planned to kill himself and the, the fact that he saw this one christian woman saying that she was proudly christian and proudly lesbian and this minister black minister at harvard saying you know gay people aren't condemned don't believe these other christians um made him want to live and i i went right into the executive producer's office and said okay read this and read it again and i just want to do religion i wanted everything i would i'm going to just do religion for you because you're not doing it we had this whole conversation when i pitched the segment that they like never went anywhere near religion because they're on PBS and they might lose funding. And I was always like, this isn't about being anti-Christian or anti-Bible. That doesn't get us anywhere. You have to re reach people where they are and tell them that they've been mistaken, not shame them. He's like, well, I don't know. Even while I was making the piece, the executive person was like, there's a good chance this won't air. Like, okay, but it's not going to be what you think because at mm -hmm. that point, Everything was about, as you said, fighting back, like screw the Bible, screw religion. I'm never going there again, you know? And I just think that's such a loss. I feel, I feel so deeply that being religious and being LGBTQ are not mutually exclusive, just like I feel for religious parents can either accept their child or accept their religion. They're not mm. mutually exclusive. Mm. They're almost the same thing. So, um, that's, I, I, I then sort of became the religion producer for In the Life and that I quit, I ultimately quit my job at City of Hope to become producer of the show In the Life. And then I quit In the Life to make For the Bible Tells Me So. I'm glad that you kept talking after, uh, <laughs> after the story about the email because if you would have paused and waited for me to ask you something, I. I... Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I can. To, uh, I can. I, I, I've told that story so many times, and this is maybe the second time I got through without crying. Because <laughs> uh, it, you know, it just seared into my soul. It's really why I'm here. I think. Yeah, that really took the took my breath away. Um, and I and I'm and I'm someone who's interviewed a lot of artists and musicians and heard a lot of stories about the way people's work is, can impact somebody else. But that one, yeah, that was that literally took my breath away. Um, that's incredible. And, 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 and that's the kind of story that regardless of whatever, all the highs and lows of your work since, like that's kind of the, you retire on that one. <laughs> you know, that, you know, when you yeah. hear people say, oh, oh yeah. I hope that this reaches one person and what, and it's like, 
there it is. That's, that's incredible. Um, yeah. And, and I, and I have to tell you with, for the Bible and now for, they know what they do. All those emails have started again. And for the Bible, I got thousands, maybe tens of thousands of those emails. That film got seen so widely mm -hmm. and it's like, it is the best thing. Every one of them is the best thing that ever happened to me. I just love knowing that this work that so many people do, it's not just me. These movies are made by, you know, armies of people, but we're all there primarily to try to put an end to the suicide epidemic. So, um, but that was the first one that really altered me. And, and when you talk about, those theological discussions. I think those are so important because as much as it might feel like inside baseball to Christians, it, it's like you said, you've got to talk to people where they're at and where they live literally and, and figuratively. And the idea that it's an either or proposition as, as opposed to a both and conversation right. It's so crucial. And, and when you were talking about, you know, when you mentioned Leviticus, my first thought is, man, nobody's, nobody's kids are committing suicide because they mix the wrong kinds of fabric. Right. Or because they, you know, this is even taking those interpretations at face value as being correct. And saying even in that framework or that understanding of certain parts of the Bible, no one's putting it on equal footing with all sorts of other stuff that, you know, um, I mean, if you look at even how many evangelicals are accepting of tattoo culture now who are tat tattooed, you know, bow to stern and yet still hold on to these uh, backwards, hateful views about sexuality and gender. I mean, it's just, it's wild. It's like, well, you can see, you can contextualize why the Bible appears to prohibit tattoos and you can talk up, you can do these apologetics about what that was about at that time and in that context and feel okay getting tattooed. And yet, <laughs> yeah. And so I think it is important to, to approach this stuff theologically and in terms of scripture. And I feel like yeah. there's a sense that, some believers have, and even some people outside of the church, that in order to be, as you say, proudly LGBTQ and proudly a Christian believer, you have to be sort of willfully ignoring some portion of the faith, as opposed to, again, as you put it, no, you're, you're actually embracing it. <laughs> like those two things aren't mutually exclusive. It's your faith that's causing you to fully embrace who you are and fully embrace who other people are. Exactly. Um, if you could talk to me a little bit about that and, and, and through the process of making both of these documentaries, what you came to understand as someone who studies the Bible and believes about how and why it, we've gotten it so wrong as a, as a culture, you know, why is, why is yeah. it so wrong? What, what, how did we screw that up so badly? Well, you know, that's a, that we mean we could talk for, 40 hours about that. But yeah. I mean, I, I learned so much making that first film because um, it was my first film. So I learned about how to make movies, mm -hmm. but especially about, I learned a lot about the Bible. I, I think I knew more about the Bible when that film was done than almost anybody I've ever met. Um, <laughs> I met a lot of clergy. Um, Cause I also wanted to arm myself. I knew I would get, a lot of blowback and I got a lot of blowback online. Um, not in person, weirdly, and we can talk about that in a second, but mm -hmm. um, one thing I've definitely learned that's fascinating is that the people that are most likely to start throwing scripture into a conversation of this type, when they realize that you know the Bible, they run out of the room because most often people who are kind of proof texting and, and, and picking and choosing what, which of pieces of scripture they want to use to undergird their negative feelings about somebody, um, that's all they know. They're, they're not really people who study the Bible or study scripture. Um, 
I would say 90% of the time, people who have approached me and said, well, I want to talk to you about scripture. I'm always like, great, bring it on. What would you like to talk about? Sodom and Gomorrah? Let's talk about when the, the four times Jesus talked about Sodom and Gomorrah. And each time it was always about inhospitality. What? Jesus, what? Like, mm. uh, yeah. no, Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament. Well, you're a Christian, so Jesus is supposed to be like primary. Like, I love having these conversations, but it's really stunning to me how few people who wear their Christianity like super proudly and loudly really know almost nothing really about the Bible. They just know a few pieces of scripture, which again, they've used they've weaponized. in their arguments. Yeah. Um, at the same time, I also will say that, um, you know, when, when, so for the Bible premiered at Sundance and we sold at Sundance and then we had this period of festivals and then it premiered in theaters and did amazingly well in theaters. And then I went on sort of this tour across the country and whenever it was in a Bible Belt state, I tried to go um, because for whatever reason, when a director of a film appears with the film, more people see it. And I was like, mm -hmm. I want that this, like this movie is not for New York and San Francisco and Miami and Los Angeles. The movie is for the Bible Belt. So I'm going to go there. Um, and what I learned was, first of all, we couldn't really, we didn't really sell well in New York, but in like Savannah, Georgia, we sold out like, over and over and over and over again, or Blacksburg, Virginia, or all these places where you would think the movie wouldn't do well is where it shocked everybody and did amazing business because mm. there are so many Christians, at least at that point, this is in 2007, 2008, there were so many mm. Christians who were desperate for any permission or idea of how they could possibly accept their son sister, father, grandfather, mm. anyone who, and they just never heard it in their church, but they wanted to hear another side, right? So, so many people said that to me in, in Q and A's throughout the Bible Belt. And the other thing that they said to me was, I have felt something was wrong with my version of Christianity really coming down hard on gay and lesbian people for 30 years, but I've mm. never had the tools to have a conversation with my preacher about it. And now I have the tools. <clears throat> Those kinds of conversations are like, again, deeply moving to me because that's the point. Like the reason I made the film was that so people would then be able to go back and say, well, what about this? You know, mm -hmm. what about the context of when it was written? This wasn't, this was about procreation. It wasn't about partnered gay people now. Like, it's just not the same thing. So, um, yeah. And I, I also learned, I thought it would be harder to get through to the people who are most convicted, um, who were most sure that the Bible was, was condemning against LGBTQ people. And I, you know, out of the at least hundreds, if not over a thousand screenings I've been to with that first film, I think maybe once someone at the, someone who had actually seen the whole film actually then stood up and challenged me somehow. But out of a hundred of those people, 99 of them, once they saw the movie, had a completely different take on why they were there, what the movie was about. I had a guy, you know, we won, one of the festivals we won was a festival called um, Full Frame Documentary Film Festival in Durham, North Carolina, which is a, one of the best all documentary festivals in the world. And we were completely thrilled to get a prize there. And the prize was that they would send me and the movie to every state school in North Carolina, which again, for me was like, yes. <laughs> They're like, can you make a couple of them? I said, I'll go to every single one. Like, <laughs> I want to go. And the very first one was at Western Carolina University, which is in like this, this, this town up in the mountains called like Kadihi or Kayahi, something like that. It's really, when I got there, when the person picked me up from the airport, they said, she said, welcome to the holler. I go, okay. <laughs> so 
I went to the screening, you know, it'd been really well publicized. It was in one of those, it's in one of those university teaching rooms where all the, all the, the professors at the bottom and all the um, desks and chairs go upstairs so that the professor looks up at everyone, right? Mm -hmm. And the, the blackboard and the, everything else is down right at the bottom. Well, um, I went to Western Carolina, the movie started, I went, I'd seen the movie a lot by then. So I was, you know, I'd, I'd walk around these universities and I love North Carolina. So I had fun and came back for the Q and A, came out, um, it was completely packed. It was like 800 people. And um, I said, okay, um, who's got a question? And if you've ever been to a Q&A, the first qu no one wants to ask the first question. So there's always a lag. <laughs> I've, but this I've moderated Q&As. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know about it. Well, when, when I said that, I should have known better, but I said, who's got a question? And a hand shot up right in the front row. This guy right in front of me, probably six feet in front of me, in the front row. Um, and he stood up. He was about six, seven. I'm six foot. So he was towering over me. He was holding a legal pad and he said, I read about this film and I knew it was just gonna be more propaganda about the gay agenda. And he was sort of pointing at me and kind of yelling at me and you could feel like the entire audience just went, oh God. And I, I was a little close. So I think I sort of slowly tried to move back. He's, he's, so he was going on like, you know, I brought this legal pad to write everything down that I disagreed with and I'm really happy that I came. And then his face completely changed. No one could see this but me because he was in the front row and everyone's behind him. And he said, but you know, what this movie really is about is family and Jesus wanted families to stay together and it's just such a beautiful film. And he started crying. He said, I'm just gonna tell everyone I know to see it. He sat down and cried through the entire rest of the Q and A, because he had come with this like clearly ready to fight, you no know, big <laughs> yeah. anger, ready to fight, and he was undone by the mm. fact that the movie is just about parents loving their children and what that looks like in different contexts, right? So mostly, that has been the experience with that film and it's has started again with the new film you know the before they don't know what they do is really it's not a sequel but it's a follow-up to for the bible tells me so and again we're getting this starting at tribeca that film premiered at tribeca mm -hmm. some of the statements that i get during q a's and especially after q a's just one-on-one -on -one stuff it's just amazing um you know, it just, it's, it's, I have the best job ever. I'm the luckiest person I've ever met. Well, I love what you touched upon in terms of there's an intuitive and I would say spiritual sense in our core. Oftentimes when we're, when we come up, I mean, I grew up in Indiana. When we come up around some of those beliefs where you just feel that it isn't right. And then, as you said, to have that then confirmation, to have it articulated for you. It's like when you hear a song that perfectly mm. explains the way you feel about something and you're like, oh, oh, oh there it is. that's not just me. I'm not alone in that thought. And, and right. you know, and I, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this because oftentimes what you hear from sort of the other side, for lack of a better way to put it, is that as the church moves to be more inclusive, more accepting, affirming, as, as put it in Christianese, that that's the church bending to culture, right? That you have this immutable, eternal truth, and that when the church kind of caves in on this stuff, it's just it's just bending. It's it's uh, you know, humankind is tickling the ear of the church, and it's and it's bending and, and and setting aside to, to me one of the, the first arguments i always make to that is well there was a time when the church was against interracial marriage <laughs> right and you know was that just did the church just bend the culture um or slavery going mention, back even further not to mention biblical marriage and what it what marriage <laughs> is actually in the bible what right. marriage is and how that's nothing like what it is now indeed um so yeah so my question to you would be when, when you encounter that sort of argument. I mean, I, I, I think that the, the reality of it is exactly the opposite, that what the church has taught 
um, has been, that was the bending to culture, right? The homophobia of culture that the interpretations that a lot of us were raised with, those are the ones that are the watered down version of what was actually said and what was actually true because of cultures. Uh, so yeah, I would, I would just love to hear your, your thoughts on that because that's often, I think that's the, the argument that I encounter the most among what I would describe as well-meaning believers who, who are still holding on to that. Well, you know, you know, hate the sin, love the sinner. And, but it is a sin, right. but even, you know, they're, you, you, you feel them trying to like, <laughs> you know, get to that next place, but they feel like it's some kind of compromise if they do, that it's some sort of bending to culture. Um, I think I would, would say, say I, I, I'd say a number of things. Um, first, uh, for me, and the, the, I see the Holy Spirit um, as the life and breath of the church. So, and the Holy Spirit is constantly breathing in new understanding and evolving the church, as you said, about interracial marriage, just about so much. Jesus said, I have more to tell you, but you are not ready to hear it. Um, that's where the Holy Spirit comes in for me. So um, as we, as we struggle as humans to understand more and more what it is to live uh, a life of authenticity, of service, of all the things that um, I learn from the gospels, especially, it just makes, it makes no sense to me that the um, church is this one thing, one unchangeable thing. Um, that's deeply irreligious to me. Um, I'm, you know, I'm executive producing a film called 1946 right now about the fact that the word homosexual never appeared in a Bible ever until 1946 in the revised standard version. And this movie is about how that happened and how culture bent scripture, mm -hmm. um, why it happened, how it happened, and, and what the consequences have been. So, you know, if I only have five seconds to have a conversation with someone who says what they say to you about this is the this is the church bending the culture, I say, well, so what do you make of the fact that homosexual, the word, was never in the Bible till 1946? This is a 2000 year old collection of stories. Why does that make sense to you with what you just said? Okay, I gotta go, you know? I mean, <laughs> there's just, there's so many um, conversations that can be had. I mean, let's talk about divorce and what Jesus actually said about divorce, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> talk about, the, the, the church doesn't bend? What? <laughs> the, what is the divorce rate among evangelicals? Almost as high as the broader uh, divorce rate. It's not that evangelicals get divorced any less. Um, so I just think we, when, you, when you look at the work of the Holy Spirit in the world, and the fact that Jesus said nothing about homosexuality, and nothing. he told that, that's, us, that's always my first go-to. If this was if this was going to be the downfall of civilization, and it's so super important, and you're voting because of it, why didn't Jesus ever mention it? Right. <laughs> why didn't? Right. Where's Where's the big warning in the Gospels? It talks about a lot of stuff. And Jesus sided with. Up. He sided with religious officials. He sided. With, I mean, he didn't know he didn't side with him. He sided against them. He sided with the other, like always. Mm -hmm. That's the yeah. whole point. If there's yeah. any point to Christianity, it's like you take on, uplift, and carry along anybody who does not have what you have, anybody who does not have the standing or the treasure or whatever. And it just feels to me like that what is called Christianity in the U.S. now at least in the in political circles, is about as far away from what uh, you know the life of Christ was trying to teach. No matter what you believe, if you believe Christ was the Son of God, or you believe he was simply a rabbi of the time, or if you think Christ is a myth, if you're saying you're a Christian, how do you 
not do everything you can for the poor? How do you not embrace all other people? I mean, it just makes no sense to me. And the things that, yeah, the things that are prioritized versus the things that are completely ignored. I, I love, I'm excited to see the 1946 movie. It reminds me of a lot of the current cultural conversation around Confederate statues. And when you tell someone like, hey, you know that statue wasn't put up <laughs> two days after Robert E. Lee <laughs> passed away or, you know, a month after the Civil War ended, like, hey, that statue right there, yeah, that's from like 1959. Um, yeah, right. it puts the whole thing in a really different context of why things show up when they do and what the intention is there. Um, yeah. I want to talk to you, uh, before we run out of time, about the title of this new movie and the, and the sort of double and triple meaning and, and, and why you chose it and all that. I just think it's such a great name for the movie. Um, yeah, be, well, being one of the, you know, among the last things recorded you know that jesus said right like it's anyway yeah you tell yeah. me about your title i don't need to tell you about your title <laughs> well um you know I, I i didn't think i would do another film about this topic honestly there are a lot of things i care about i'm only here a certain amount of time so as i said i want to leave behind as much as much material as i can that i that i hope will improve someone's life um but um, decided to make this film in 2015 after starting to get death threats again through the For the Bible Tells Me So website. Um, I live in Berlin, uh, which was just was very strange to me to start getting these threats again. But when we tuned into a, there was a, a political debate, the Republican presidential nomination was up for grabs and there were like 10 people running for the nomination, mm. including the current president. And the, house, um, the halcyon days. <laughs> right. Right. The before times. <laughs> no idea what was coming. Um, but uh, I tuned in, Russ and I both tuned into that debate after I started getting these threats in August of 2015. And like, I think if there were, there were 10 candidates, eight of them said something strongly, proudly, and vociferously anti-gay or anti-trans. And when we had left the U.S. just two years before, that may have been two or three, like Huckabee and, you know, mm -hmm. whoever, whomever, but eight of them said were, uh, clearly it had become like the thing to say as a Republican again, that you were going to bring back Don't Ask, Don't Tell, and you were going to get rid of marriage equality and all this stuff. And that really shocked me. So that's what made me sort of research what was going on state by state. And then when I realized there were more than 200 anti-gay and anti-trans bills and state legislatures all over the country, I thought, I think we have to do this again and update it mm. and, you know, include some stuff we missed. We missed the whole transgender thing in the first film. Anyway, when we chose the title for the Bible tells me so for the first movie, I loved that double entendre mm -hmm. because the Bible tells me I need to be who I am and be fully who God made me to be, but the Bible was telling somebody else that I was condemned and making a choice and whatever all of that is. And I was really clear when we chose that title that once the film went onto Netflix and Amazon or wherever it was gonna go, the people I most wanted to see the film would recognize that line from Jesus Loves Me and would go, oh, it has Bible in it? I'm gonna choose that. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I just, became Southern for a moment. Um, <laughs> no, when, when, when I told uh, a good, good friend of mine who um, runs a popular movie website and is uh, a very secular person, and we're always having conversations about what we're watching, just the names of your two documentaries got a snicker and a, oh, you and your Jesus stuff. And you know, and you gotta go, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. So I, I love that, it, that you, that it's very subversive and Trojan horse in that way. Cause yeah, if right. you're, as you're scor scrolling through the queue. And I can't tell you again, how many thousands of emails I've gotten from people that said, I had no idea what this was going to be. Mm. I'm a Christian, you know, I have very specific views, but it, I knew, I knew that I, Jesus loves me is my favorite hymn. So for the Bible tells me, so is a line from Jesus loves me. I picked it up. And, you know, it wasn't until like 
40 minutes into the film where I realized where it was going, but I was, st I was hooked. And you know what? I picked up my Bible again and I needed to look and study this again. So thank you. Like just like yeah. over and over and over. So when we yeah. decided to make a new film, I was like, okay, what's another biblical <laughs> yeah. title? Because frankly, I, I didn't make the film for the gay and lesbian community. I didn't make the film for the atheist community. Um, I thought maybe it, that those communities might find the film. I made it and we had a sign in our editing room, me and my editor, this movie is for straight people in the red states, mm. period. Mm. That is how we were going at it. And um, so I started thinking long and hard about, okay, what's, what's another title that, that maybe means different things to different, pe different people? Uh, and pretty quickly, um, for they know not what they do came because of the, I think the first, one of the first stories that I cast in the movie is an evangelical couple who has a, a gay son who everything they did for, they would say for him, I would say to him, um, was done in love mm. because that's how they were taught in their evangelical community to put, he was put in, conversion therapy for six yeah. years and ultimately it destroyed him because they didn't know what they were doing. They thought they were doing the right thing. Um, so I was deep into the Robertson story when I thought of for they know what they, for they know not what they do. And I just like, I never looked back. I mean, that was just so clearly it um, because that's what I think. You know, the people that yeah. look down or condemn LGBTQ people because what they think God wants or thinks or Jesus wants or thinks, they don't know what they're doing um, because they're doing often huge damage to that LGBTQ person or their ally. And, and most of the time, they think they're doing it out of love. Mm. You know? Right. Absolutely. That was actually one, one other thing I forgot to say that I learned when I walked toured with the film. Like the people, when you're, when you're gay and you have so much anti-gay stuff coming out of Christians, it's hard not to feel like, gosh, you know, Christians really just are hating people. They're hating on us so much, even though I'm Christian and I knew plenty of Christians who didn't. Sort of more conservative Christians mm -hmm. are often called haters, right? But boy, I found on my tours through the Bible Belt that these people were just really lovely people. Mm -hmm. I can't say the same for many times for the people they were listening to in the pulpit. Mm. Um, people in the clergy are a whole different thing. Um, but people in the pews generally are really good people just trying to do the right thing. So, Yeah, and here we're seeing uh, handfuls of people with the same last names as people in the pulpit in the eighties, <laughs> having the same sorts of falls, you know, which is, which is it, it just, yeah, it's demonstrative of, of a much, much larger problems. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Um, I know it's, I know it's evening for you over there and uh, yeah, I'd love to have you back on sometime. I'll be Great. sure to uh, shoot you an email when this goes up and, uh, and yeah, I'll, um, I'll send you a link to that uh, book I was telling you about too. It's, Pretty fascinating. American Messiahs, it's called. Yeah, I'd love to know more. Definitely. Yeah. I, I've written it down too, actually. So I'm going to find it. <laughs> My awesome. kind of book. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much, Daniel. I appreciate it. All and, right, um, Ryan. Keep in touch.